The European Union has not treated us well. Stupid European elites jumping off the cliffs once again. Yes, you are the guilty people and you refuse to accept it. This is EU Scream, the podcast on Europe and its political extremes. I'm James, a journalist who's crisscrossed Europe for 15 years now, covering politics and the economy. I'm Tom. I've been a lobbyist and spin doctor on the inside track of European competition and tech policy, and I've spent the last decade fighting climate change. In this episode, we are in Amsterdam to meet the Dutch conservative liberal blamed for sowing some of the seeds of European populism. We'll also do a post-interview wrap-up. First, Tom and I stick with the Low Countries, with a look at the bad and the ugly in Belgium during the week gone by. The good, sadly, was in short supply. So what's going on, James? What's on your mind? Yeah, this news came out about a group of young white extremists who are based around the University of Ghent in Belgium. The images alone of these guys gave me proper cold sweat. They have interview haircuts, Hilfiger style clothes, and, you know, they're super fit, they're hyper confident, you know, preppies. And they're basically neo-Nazis. Neo-Nazis who publicly blame the European Union for allowing migration and who privately praise Hitler, jubate, denigrate Africans, promote misogyny, and encourage weapons training. They sound lovely. I, I mean, wow. So I'm wondering, this is an entitled bunch of guys. They live in a beautiful part of their country. So what the fuck did their parents do so wrong? What also grabbed me is how... Around 20 of these guys are members of the youth wing of the Flemish Conservative Party, the NVA, which is a key part of the Belgian governing coalition. To me, that shows the ambition of this group, which is called Shield and Friends, uh, if you translate it from the Flemish. Their ambition to infiltrate mainstream right-wing politics. Shield and Friends even provided a security detail for the hardline Belgian interior minister, Theo Franken, when he lectured in Ghent last year. That was apparently to protect Franken against leftists. Franken has since said the security was done voluntarily, and he said he doesn't think most members of Shield and Friends ever shared the super extreme social media memes and images revealed by Flemish broadcaster VRT. Wow. Yeah. So this Franken guy is really interesting and important. Now as interior minister, obviously, is in charge of migration in this country and immigration in this country. And that's a very, very significant debate. And he's driving a very significant debate around that. Actually, it relates to something I came across this week, which is is local elections in Brussels. In each commune, as they're called, each neighborhood of the city, you're getting councillors elected and this kind of thing. And I got some election material from the MVA. And what's fascinating about it is it comes in French and Flemish and English. They're really thinking about the fact there's a very, very, very multinational audience in Brussels, obviously, like this place, this city is like 50 plus percent migrants as such. You know, we count ourselves among them. And... Um, The language that they used in this stuff was just fascinating. It was the kind of vocabulary that my six-year-old would be perfectly comfortable with, but carefully written, right? No nuance to it at all. And one of the key things that it called out was that violence 
of the type that we saw in Brussels in September of last year was completely unacceptable. Now, there's been all kinds of violence in Brussels over these past few years, right? There's been terrorist attacks, there's been fights, there's been riots, there's been all kinds of stuff. That particular one that they referenced was what happened after a few young Moroccan guys had a bunch of drinks after a football match and got into a tussle with the police downtown. It wasn't even that big a deal. Nobody was, like, massively badly hurt or stuff. And instead of actually saying, and these Moroccans are a problem, they call out this, and it's dog whistles, these Moroccans are a problem. And so they're blowing up small events that are pretty common and that are not exclusive to the North African uh, community or people with that heritage into something more than it really, really Totally, is. as as a reason to, you know, go into massive police spending. And, and yeah, they're driving vote, that, yeah. like they are doing well. Um, it's unclear. The communes of Brussels are very, very different in terms of their political makeup, but it does look like the NVA will get significant support this time around. And Franken is one of the most popular politicians in both the north of the country, where he's from, the Flemish-speaking part, but also in the south. And he's on TV a lot, and he's kind of, you know, in a way, you could say he's got a larger voice in the debate than the Belgian prime minister. So we're going to stay with the low countries. Let's go into our interview, which is from the Netherlands. Fritz Bolkestein is the former leader of the Dutch Liberals, the VVD, who pushed the Netherlands toward a skeptical view of European integration and of multiculturalism. He then brought those views to Brussels, where he rattled the bureaucracy with his readiness to question the limits of the European project. Yet he also has left a strong mark as a European commissioner, advocating that companies in former Soviet bloc countries should be able to send low-cost workers westwards to countries like France that, unlike Britain at the time, opposed opening their labor markets. Fritz's services directive got dramatically watered down, but that fight created a narrative that stuck, that elitist globalizing Brussels bureaucrats enabled Polish plumbers to steal French jobs. Fritz's office overlooking the River Amstel is really more of a study. There are books everywhere, and he too has been a prolific author. One of his most recent works, The Intellectual Temptation, is a pean to the virtues of experience over ideology. He says a version for the American market is on its way. Fritz is also something of a mentor to conservative Dutch liberals who must navigate the choppy waters of Dutch and European identity that he did so much to stir up. Those waters have since been made even choppier by Heert Wilders, the far-right politician found guilty for encouraging discrimination against Dutch Moroccans, and whose party is allied with the French National Front. So, in Fritz's view, what exactly is populism? A populist uh, give precedence to the short run over the long run. They look at tomorrow morning's newspaper, but they forget the, the longer term. Now, we, all, we are all politicians, and we all uh, want to, to, to know what's in tomorrow morning's newspaper. That hopefully our view extends beyond that. And that's the difference between populists and, 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 and the others. Uh, do we have populists in Holland? Um, yes, we have the party run by Mr. Wilders. He has two strings to his bow. Uh, the first string is uh, the same thing as the Socialist Party, the SP, which is um, support the least paid, supposed the underclass. That is really the second string to his bow. The first string to his bow is anti-Muslim. 
that doesn't go very well in Holland because we this this country was built on a religious freedom. When he says, "Well, forbid all volumes of the Koran," uh, that is that doesn't doesn't hold any water. That's ridiculous. Why is Wilders uh, popular? It's because it's uh, the electorate that has voted for for Trump. It's the electorate of the people who uh, who are feeling that the world is passing them by. That they have always have to wait and, and, and last in the queue for seeing the doctor and that sort of thing. I think. Mark Rutte, the straight-talking Dutch prime minister from the VVD party that Fritz did so much to shape, has so far kept Wilders at bay by taking a tough line on immigration and a lukewarm tone on Europe. Does that formula have an expiration date? And should Rutte follow Fritz's footsteps by taking a top job in Brussels? I know um, Mark Rutte quite well. Is he Eurocritical? Yes, he is. Is he able to keep the populists at bay in Holland? Yes. Outside Holland, I don't know. Holland, with 17 million inhabitants, is not all that small. Uh, is he able to stop populism or extremism uh, among the large member states? No, because he's not. he will not be listened to with enough intensity by the five large ones. Among the small ones, the Baltic countries, um, yes, I think they would listen to him. And in fact, <clears throat> there is a group uh, which is headed by Mark Rutte, Austria and Denmark and Sweden belong to it. So he is seen to be their, 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 their president, their, their leader. Uh, and that is a good thing. I asked him once, would you like to become president of the commission? And he immediately said, no, I want to have nothing to do with this goings on in, in Brussels, which is a pity because I'm, I'm no supporter of, uh, of the present, uh, president of, of the commission, Juncker. Uh, I don't think he's a great, uh, a great president. And we've not had great presidents for quite a while. The commission is losing influence because they are not substantial enough. Anyway, so Mark said, uh, I don't want to do that. And I left it at that. Uh, now people say, I've said myself, and he should at least be president of the council and succeed Tusk. He must think of, of some further job position. I myself was a, a leader of my party between 90 and 98. And I left in '98 because I, th I thought then that I'd outstayed my welcome. And I thought I'd leave now at the high po highest point of the feast of the party and go to Brussels. And I don't know whether he thinks that way, uh, but he should. Fritz is seen in some quarters as a sort of necessary forerunner of far-right populists like Wilders, Marine Le Pen, and Nigel Farage, who promote Islamophobia and destruction of the EU. Is that fair? Well, um, let, let us first of all uh, consider w what I have said. I have said very little. I have said that people who want to live, uh, and, and live in this country and stay here, uh, if they want to settle in this country, they must obey the basic values of their society. That's what I said. Now, if you say that now, people will say, why are you taking the trouble to tell us that? We, we all know that. Was it necessary to say that in 91? 
Well, then it was, because then it raised in you know, quite a ruckus. When I became leader of my party in April 1990, I had to deal with everything. And uh, I ran into this problem of, uh, of migration and of immigrants and of, of clashing values. And I thought, uh, this is a big problem. This is going to be a big problem. And I listened to people, as I put it, in, in, in Koch and Kerk, in the, the pub and in the church, listened to people. Um, one party is, my party is not large enough to deal with it. We should do this together. I was then in opposition. This is what I said, um, after which nothing happened. So then I thought in summer 1991, I said, well, no one seems to be interested in this project. In that case, I shall write an article that will make them sit up, which I did. And now it's, it's common, common sense. So where is my... Uh, my my history as a forerunner. Well, I said that, but that is very little. It went against the so-called experts. You see, the Dutch then had uh, the government, at least, uh, a slogan to encapsulate their policy, and that was integration while retaining cultural identity. And I said, this is nonsense, because if you integrate, you lose some of your identity. You assume another identity, not wholly, but at least partly. So go away with that slogan, integration with cultural identity. That, that is bullshit. Um, and and uh, if, you, if you tell uh, uh, experts that they are selling bullshit, then you, of course, you, you're covered in, in that bullshit. <laughs> But that's all I said. So, if Fritz does not share the outright Islamophobia of today's populists, does he think there's a way for Muslims to show they can be good Dutch and European citizens? Get a paid job, a, a really honest job. I know a number of Muslims who have paid jobs. Many of them work in the, uh, in the health sector, apothecaries, pharmacies, doctor's assistants. Many of them work in that area, others work uh, elsewhere. I'm thinking in particular now of one family. The husband came here and became the uh, chief shell uh, cleaning operate, uh, operation. Um, was he educated? Not really, no. But he made a go of it and he was successful. And he has eight children and they are all educated in one way or another. So it's not all that bad. It's a dark irony. Fritz and the British pushed hard for workers to move freely across the block as a purely economic project, not as some attempt to erect a European superstate. Yet it was free movement of these workers that may do most to explain why the British voted for Brexit. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, yeah. The future of, of Britain is, is, um, is, a, is a difficult issue, difficult issue. They, shouldn't have, they should have perhaps uh, um, exercised some kind of control over the polls coming in. Because the, Britain, the, 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 the British consider the polls in a particular light because of the Second World War. 
And the Poles were a significant part of the British Air Force, for example. And they fought at Arnhem and so on and so forth. So one should take that also into account. But basically, they, they said, we don't want to, we want to be ruled by our own parliament and we don't want to have anything to do with the parliament in Strasbourg and that sort of thing. And much of that, the, the people that, that sunk the Britain's membership uh, are the ones that are, think, uh, are thinking back to, to the days of the empire. Uh, I, don't, I don't have to tell you that uh, that doesn't cut any ice. Uh, the, 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 the young people wanted to stay, the old people wanted to go, the young people didn't vote, the old people did vote. They've now come a cropper because they've got problems galore. And by the way, it is a typical tenet of liberal policy not to have referenda. I'm against all referenda. And we've had some accidents in, in this country with referenda, and I'm against them all. What would do most to ensure the EU survives? I think we should try and stifle, if nothing else, the monetary union. The basis is one size fits all. Well, one size doesn't fit all. There is an enormous difference between the North and the South, between Northwestern Europe and the Mediterranean Europe. The Mediterraneans want to solve economic problems by political means. And the Northwest Europeans want to solve economic problems by performing economic problems better, staying within the, the, the circle uh, of, of, of the economy and not moving into politics. As a leader of my party, I, I resisted very, very strongly the accession of Italy to the monetary union because they, they, they weren't worth it, commercially, uh, economically speaking. And they still don't. The worst part was that because Helmut Kohl said Italy was one of these founding members of the European Union, and, and secondly, because the French wanted Italians to join the European Union, because if they didn't, then France would have the worst economy in the European Union, and now Italy has the worst economy. It's a way of, of thinking which is appalling, but, but we all have to suffer uh, uh, the, the accession of, of, of Italy. And worst of all, uh, it was Greece, because they said, so we are stuck with it. Uh, sitting in the European Council, they said, we cannot refuse the Greeks what we offered Italy. As one of the giants of European liberalism, what does Fritz make of the call by Hungary's Prime Minister, Viktor Orban, for a liberal democracy? Are Fritz and the dictator really on such different pages? Orban uh, is a, a nationalist and he is um, misbehaving. Uh, he wrote me a letter the other day, which I don't have here. I have it at my home. Because I became 85 years of age, saying that I was one of the first politicians to realize the importance of the borders. The Hungarian border vis-à-vis Serbia is rather strongly fortified. People speak ill of him because of that, but they forget that the standing policy of the European Commission is to strengthen our outside borders. And he's doing what, what, what we want, so why complain? So that's another point where I say he's doing the right thing, so please shut up. Or do the same thing. I know him quite well because I interviewed him at, at length and I put that in one of my books. So he 
looks to me and thinks I'm a kindred soul, which I'm not. But uh, he he has a point in as much as uh, he uh, feels for the Hungarian identity. Uh, you may well ask, what is the Hungarian identity? I don't know whether he knows himself, but uh, there are quite a few Hungarians live outside the borders. He wants to be um, prime minister for all these Hungarians, which is dangerous talk. It's dangerous talk. We don't want any any more nonsense about Transylvania. He is he's being naughty. On the other hand, uh, people like the the Poles and the and the Czechs and the Hungarians they lived under the under under Moscow's rule for 40 years, and um, now he has got to deal with the European Commission. And I think there is a legitimate complaint about about their getting mixed up in all, all sorts of things. But, but um, Orban uh, exaggerates, and he is um, on bad terms with Soros, uh, which is um, <coughs> a pity, since I think Soros is doing the right thing, wants to do the right thing, and also, unhappily, Soros is a Jew. Now, this opens the can of worms of Hungarian relations with, with Jews. The current Dutch appointee to the European Commission, Franz Timmermans, has made adherence to European values a priority to stop the degradation of democracy in Poland and Hungary. Is that an effective approach? First of all, what are European values? Um, The University of Tilburg in the south of the Netherlands has carried out a survey of European values. Uh, I've read their reports. It's sobering. They don't really know what European values are. So, first of all, the trouble is, what is European values? We all know the well-known uh, list of, of freedom and, and uh, equality between men and women, that sort of thing. But is that all? Uh, there are some countries that uh, we would like to join the European Union and that don't have the same values as the ones we like. Do we restrict the European Union to people whom we like? And that is not my view of the European Union. I think one of the most important tasks of the Union is to to establish a zone of civilization, a zone of quality, of peace uh, in Eastern Europe, from from Poland to uh, Romania. Uh, And if we stick to our guns as far as the European values are concerned, we may miss some of them. In fact, we may miss all of them to begin with Poland and Hungary. So what is it we want? I'd rather have a big tent than a little tent. I'd rather have a big tent where we can uh, get all the member states to first of all to to live peacefully with each other. That in itself is an enormous achievement. And now, post-match analysis. So, hey, this is Tom. So that was a fascinating interview. I mean, well done for getting up there and getting it. And clearly, you know, he's an elder statesman of the European project, right, in, in so many ways, and he's an important character. It really came out, I think. And so much of it I just profoundly disagree with. I mean, the point he closes on about the big tent... And he, what he calls this establishment of European civilization, we have to have a zone of civilization in the East, 
Like, look, you know, we've got everybody here. We're all friends together. We can have the communists and we can have the hard right and we can have the anti-democrats and we can have the whatever. It's all one big European project. We've got, we've got room for everything. And that was essentially his defense of Orban. And it's really interesting that Bolkestein, even after all these years and all this reflection, is still in that place, which basically says it's not a Europe of values. It's a Europe of peace and then uses the word civilization, which obviously, I mean, is a, is a lovely term because it can mean literally anybody, anything to anybody. What I found perhaps the most challenging was his justification of the need to attack multiculturalism. He, I guess, was indicating that you need to fight multiculturalism in order to get people to integrate in order to have a healthy political system. You know, the idea that people, there should be mutual respect can only be held between white Christians. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> how does that work out? I'm right? not sure Bolkestein was saying that. Yeah, but it's where he goes. Because when you talk about integration, how, how, like, how far do you push that? That implied disrespect for other cultures, that they somehow can't hold up Western values or whatever those things are because of their history and because of the places they come from. It just it just seems to me to deny the idea that we prosper when we're unified and when we coordinate and we cooperate. So he's he's pretty worried about Britain and the future of Britain. Yeah. That must have at least had you nodding in agreement. Yeah. I mean, you see the planning going on for no deal Brexit, as it gets called right now. And it's literally economic catastrophe and not just economic, economic and social catastrophe. But he's also, to some extent, using that to justify the Big Ten. So let's keep everybody in. So let's just let them do whatever the hell they want. And if they become anti-democratic on the way through, like his justification for Orban is around this kind of Big Ten civilization point. But is he willing to let democracy go down that plug hole? Well, look, I mean, maybe I could have pushed him harder on, uh, well, where does the big tent end and democracy end? He says he's not a kindred... He's not a kindred spirit. Yeah. He's not a kindred spirit with, with Viktor Orban. But on the other hand, he says, you know, Brussels, shut up. Stop attacking him. At least he stands up for a strong external border. Yeah. And this gets us into the kind of idea that a fortress Europe is what is needed in order to preserve our own uh, stability within the European Union. When you speak to somebody like Bolkestein, you just feel like all of these almost cosmic challenges for both values and the future of the European Union. How does the European Union square humane values with keeping the project on track? Coming out of this from, a, from the climate perspective is particularly interesting right so one of the things i've been doing a lot of work on is understanding how climate impacts will will affect human migration because obviously it's absolutely huge where are those people headed right they are headed at the end of the day towards water and food and that means mainland europe and you are going to see over the next 10 to 20 years as we get these more and more and greater and greater extremes you're going to see massive numbers of people just literally having to move or die what's our plan Build an ever bigger wall, you know, more and more barbed wire and guns. That it's not a sustainable way of thinking about this. We are going to have to play a role in the way that these people now choose to move. So the Orban formula, the part of Orban that Bolkestein supports, again, 
not really a helpful response just to that. not a helpful response at all and yeah one of the things that i think we've we've kind of touched on a few times now and we're going to have to get into a lot over the coming months is what is the playbook like how do you respond to these people you know how do you respond to the rise of we were talking about you know the, the far right in belgium earlier what does the mainstream do what is the narrative that's going to bring us over the hill there because these guys are gaining ground on you know straightforward responses to problems that are just not respond they're just not solutions That's EU Scream for this week. You can check our website at euscream.com for links to issues discussed in the show, ways to write to us with ideas and comments, and more episodes. Please rate us on iTunes, tweet about us at EU Scream, and like us on Facebook. EU Scream is edited and mixed by me, James Cantor. Tom Brooks and I produce the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.